Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Yes, indeed, there is a war going on, a spiritual war, a battle. So, Father, <clears throat> we thank you for Rescue Radio. We thank you for each one who's been drawn to listen to this episode today or in the coming days. We pray, Father God, that you would make yourself real and known to us, all of us, that the revelation of Jesus Christ would secure our hearts and make us steadfast, uh, give us confidence, faith, to stand and having done all to stand in the promises of your word, Lord God. I pray today that you give us understanding, that you would connect the dots and that the enemy would not be able to snatch away that revelation or dissipate it or bury it with all kinds of troubles and busyness and distractions, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, for each one who um, seeks to do your will. I thank you for giving us grace and favor and mercy and salvation. I thank you for buying and paying for that salvation with your blood through your work and act of love towards us. I thank you for also giving us and releasing unto us power uh, over all the power of the enemy for understanding that this is a war, that we live in a place that's hostile, and that you've given us power to stand, faith, grace, mercy, the gifts of the Holy Spirit to bind, to loose, to forgive. I thank you that you've also promised us many things. You've promised us that no weapon formed against us will prosper And so today I'm asking that you cover each one of us, that we'd make it a direct and daily um, uh, intercession to you to cover and keep us, Lord God, in our affairs, in our words and conversations, even the way that we perceive things that is so um, filled with filters and deceptions, counterfeits and divination, Lord God, that we don't recognize how subtle and sly the enemy is in trying to take out our minds, our thoughts, our hearts, our souls. So to pray that you would give us great wisdom and understanding through your Holy Spirit who abides within us. I thank you, Lord God, that you give us hope and you've given us faith. You give us love, Lord God. You give us everything that we need and you just ask us to use it. So give us the grace and strength and wisdom to use those things. I thank you, Lord God, for divine protection and and that you would deliver us, Lord God, yourself out of the snares and pits that we find ourselves in, whether it's health, whether it's relational, whether it's emotional, whether it's circumstantial, whether it's a financial, whatever it is, that today, Lord God, you give your people strength to know and not to flounder without fear and confusion, but to know that they know what they know. Thank you, Jesus. Now give us in your direction. May we speak as the oracles of God. Amen. Well, good morning, honey. How are well, you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Have you got have you gone through the first several battles of the morning already? I yes, assume? yes. We've been we've been pressing through the battles of the of the morning, and they uh, they start early, and <laughs> yeah, right. they seem like they never end. But we do. We in mm-hmm. all these things, mm-hmm. Paul said in Romans chapter eight, we are more than conquerors yeah. through Him that loved us. So. so we're going to talk today about crazy faith and insane love, and I don't know if we're going to get to all of the depth of all of that. But if you want to look with us, we're going to take a peek at Romans chapter 4 and look at some of the, where this all got started basically in God's conversations with man. You know, he talked and walked with Adam and Eve, but he really got his conversation going. He talked a little bit with Noah, kind of sent him a revelation of what to do. But he really started uh, talking, um, explaining or exposing his heart when he started talking with Abraham. I believe Abraham was a friend of God, and so God kind of had a lot of conversations with him. And so in in Romans chapter 4, we see what Paul was doing when he was looking at Abraham, how his righteousness worked, and it worked actually apart from works. It wasn't connected with his works, as we'll see. Um, So what happens a lot of times, honey, I believe, is that people get confused about where you know, what's their part to do in all this? What's God's part? And they're being punished because I, I know we've talked about this before, that they're they're suffering and being punished because they did something wrong. They're bad. They're disobedient, whatever. And not to say that we don't get plenty of opportunities to disobey God through the tempter, but there's a lot of confusion between law and love, between works and grace. Well, a lot of times, too, you know, we get confused. We get 
uh, we get faked out because of the the trouble and uh, tribulation and the warfare that's going on. Yeah. So so we we can get into condom self condemnation. We can get into bitterness. We can get you know mad at God and yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that all of this stirring up in their soul is an instigator. It's an agitator from hell that's actually putting a, a, a you know a, a tweak a twist on your perceptions and so that you're going, we go so many times with what we think, what we feel, what it looks like, what other people say. And we don't realize that we have been surrounded with misperceptions and we ourselves are set with filters and programs that twist everything to look like the truth when it's actually a lie. A lot of times what we do is we run our lives on the basis of circumstantial evidence yeah. And In other words, the yeah. circumstances are going on. And then we react, respond react. accordingly to mm-hmm. the circumstances rather than uh, saying, okay, what has God said about this? Mm-hmm. Well, and, then we get to say, well, what did, I don't know what God said. I don't, mm-hmm. what, are, what is he saying? I, I, is this the voice of God? Is this the voice? So not only in the uh, receiving or filtering through what God's saying, but also in even the receiving of a revelation from God, there's a lot of demonic manipulation uh, interference, tweaking uh, to to get us to believe we're hearing from God, for example, when we're not, mm-hmm. or that we're not hearing from God when actually we are. Well, the the basis of this, as believers, uh, we're His sheep. We we t- we mm-hmm. know His voice. That's what He said. But there's all kinds of voices. Some people say that. Well, mm-hmm. if, you know, if you're hearing voices, you must be insane. No, if you're hearing voices, you are sane. Yeah, you're just hearing voices. There are all kinds of voices in this world. Yeah. And then yeah. we go on and t- take medications to try to quiet the voices, blah blah blah, and then we are get diagnosed. And right. So, so <laughs> it gets to be filtering a... this thing out and being able to discern the voice of God is very significant. But uh, we're, yeah, but in in Romans here we have Abraham who did hear the voice of God. Yes, he did. He was very confident. It says then he says in verse one, chapter four, verse one. What shall we say then that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he was he has something of which to boast, but not before God. In other words, if you are earning whatever it is you're getting, you know, you've earned that diploma, you've earned that promotion, you've earned that paycheck, you've earned that position, you can boast. And um, you're justified by your works, and because you received it, you earn it, it's rightfully yours. But for what does the Scripture say? It says something different. It says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now we think, well, that's, you know, what's that? Believing, how hard is that? That's not work. Um, Yeah, it might be more work than you think to believe and press through in spite of how it feels and what it looks like, as we're saying. So his faith, believing God, believing what God said, this is where we, you and I, must find our place to stand. Yes, because a lot of times what we do is we, we not must to try to create our own righteousness mm-hmm. by what we do, and that's that's the issue. That's the church's. That's what we were talking that's about. That's a lot of the it's message. Like what we do, we become righteous. Now, righteousness by faith means that there is there is righteousness that comes out in our lives because we believe God, mm-hmm. but it's not uh, our our wonderful works that earn brownie points with God said, oh, look at how mm-hmm. righteous they are. Yes, because our righteousness, uh, Isaiah said, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before God. Mm-hmm. So our righteousness is insufficient. And so what happens, without jumping too far ahead here, is that the righteousness of Jesus is applied to our account when we put our faith in God. Yeah, and I know it's hard for us to believe that. It's hard for us to accept that, receive that. Because we just don't do, the world doesn't do stuff like that, and we're not trained and programmed that way. We're trained and programmed to have to receive after we earn, after we do. But he says in verse 4, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So if we are good and obedient and earn through whatever means, law, you know, we earn our salvation. We make God a debtor to us because now he owes us something. But it's an impossible situation because uh, I believe it's, is it James or maybe in Galatians as well? It talks about that if we offend, we keep the whole law yeah. and offend at one point, we're guilty of, of the all. the whole thing. 
So that is really impossible. Right. That is a frustrating, impossible thing. Perfection. Where it's never enough, never enough trying mm-hmm. to create our own perfection. And it, we always come short. That's and we drive ourselves, says, nuts. <laughs> drive ourselves nuts. Drive ourselves nuts. Romans chapter 3 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words. So no matter what we do, whether we're a real reprobate type sinner or we're trying to be just so good, we've all fallen short of the righteousness that God words, expects of us. We can't cross the chasm that sin has created that has separated us from God. Uh, none of us have the endurance, the strength, or the capability to make it to the other side ourselves. So he said, but to him who does not work but believes on him, God, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imparts righteousness apart from the works. That means God gives it to us. He imparts it. He bequeaths it to us. Uh, apart from works, in, in spite of good or bad works. So a lot of people who are suffering under guilt, shame, condemnation, I don't deserve I um, this bad thing that's happening to me. I had it coming. It's my fault. All of this, this is agreements you're making with the evil one. Jesus said, um, you know, for example, well, we'll get to it a little later, but there's many people who screwed up in the Bible, you know, mm-hmm. Abraham being one of them. And um, later in this chapter, we're going to see that that he wasn't considered one who screwed up. Lot messed up. We saw in in Genesis. And by the time we get to Hebrews, he's a righteous man. Um, So God is looking at not the deeds of men, but their acts of faith. They're they're, uh, coming into agreement, believing his word. So he said, verse 7, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. In other words, what is this all about? This, what does this have to do with you? What does this have to do with your bad day that you're having? Well, it has a lot to do with it because God is trying to, wanting to get us to understand that circumcision was a physical sign that the Jews carried as a uh, token of their uh, relationship with God, that they were the chosen people, that they had come under covenant with him, which is all good. But Abraham received his entrance into the covenant through the promise before he ever, ever was circumcised. So circumcision is not the magic uh, you know, deal that gets you. It's not an act. It's not a works that gets us in. It's just a sign. It's a sign or a seal of the righteousness uh, of the commitment of the covenant. It's a sign. It's not the deal. It's like your wedding ring is a sign of your marriage. It's not your marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. not. It, it's just a sign of it. And um, if you take your wedding ring off, you're just as married if you're married as if, you know, but it is a sign to others. It is a reminder. It is a uh, remembrance of the covenant. So, But Abraham, before he was circumcised, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had while still being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of those who believed, though they were uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imparted to them also. So in other words, God is saying, you know what? I'm calling some of you to be part of my family. Um, The Jewish people, the Hebrews at that point in time, were called to be part of the family of God, the covenant, the sign, the seal of that agreement, entering into that agreement was circumcision. And with that came the laws, the prescriptions, the tabernacle, the patterns, the the commandments and that sort of thing. And they were to keep those to keep themselves safe from the evil one, to keep themselves as a distinct people. And in that distinction, they also had the divine protection that the enemy could not attack them or have them, although he could continue to try to tempt them. But they didn't belong to him. And so, what ha- what has happened uh, with the uh, well, with the uh, Jewish people, the Hebrews in those days, and all the way up into the time of Jesus, they were thinking that well, the law, the law was going to be 
we had this no is, savior. This is the savior. Yeah, mm-hmm. a privileged position. And, and it's position. not. It's not our salvation. It's not our righteousness. Yeah. Because and we still have the same thing today. That you know, I because I do this or don't do this, that means I'm righteous somehow. But the righteousness of faith is 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 a gift. It's it's certainly not something that's that's earned. Well, God does not give us salvation because we're so good. He gives us salvation because we're so bad, and He imparts His righteousness. So well, it's not a matter. Of, the righteousness of God needs to be received. It's not earned. It's it's to well. Be I'd like to say God. too that you said it's not because we're so good. It's because we're so bad. I think it's really it's not. It's not because we're so bad. It's because we're so desperate and helpless and in need of salvation. Um, you know, we were we did not ask to be born into this world. Um, your kids, our kids are, are born to us. They didn't ask to be born to us. And just because, you know, we're in this world does not necessarily make us, um, it makes us, we're troubled. We're, we're caught, we're, troubled, we're lost, we're de- we're really, we're more than bad. Yeah, but what, we are doing bad, bad. things. We're, and we're so. In- and we were in terrible shape, is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, that's right. I guess you're right about that. But but see, the thing is, we sin because we believe lies. And what God is saying, uh, believe me, he's saying, and, and he says, um, God's promises, like in the next verse, he says um, the, that while he was still uncircumcised, God gave him this promise that he would become the father, not only of the Jews who had the law, but of also those who believed God's promise without the law. Um, it says in verse 12, for the promise that he would be the, the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So in other words, when God is asking us to believe him for something, he's got to have something for us to believe for. So first God makes a promise to you and me. And then he says, okay, now believe me for the promise. You know, the law, um, the promise comes as a, as a, uh, becomes the object of our faith. You know, law requires obedience and works, but it does not provide an accurate or acceptable means to bring about justification or salvation. Mm-hmm. But following Jesus, believing the promise, believing his word, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when it doesn't look like anything is coming out of it, this is where we become brave. This is where we become steadfast. This is where the Word of God is important in your life. Because if you don't know what God said, how can you stand on it? If so, you don't know what the promise is, why would you believe for it? Why would you even care about it? Why would you even know you need to believe for it? Right, right. Let, let's, let's, let's get right down to this. And Margie, I have a question here for you. Now, a lot of people today, uh, maybe Christians or non-Christians, they don't think, oh, I'm going to keep the law of God so I can be righteous. That is not in the thinking people. But how does that work out? Because it is a big problem in our churches and it's a big problem in our in our world. But a lot of people are not really thinking, "Oh, I must follow the law of God well, in order to to be which Somebody's people are right. you talking Maybe. about? The lost people or the saved Let's people? Let's talk about Christians, for example. Okay. All right. I How believe do- that they do believe. I believe we do believe that we're supposed to be good. I believe that the reason that we're, we're you know, um, encouraged, influenced in that way is because we're created by a good God to love goodness, to love holiness, and to see all the mess around here and all the flaws and faults within us and all the bad decisions and all the stuff we we just it it motivates us it's a motivator internal motivator to do a good to be good and and that's where the devil gets us set up because he uses our divine motivation to be good to set us up to try to be good in our own strength but at the same time he's setting us up to be good uh with legalism and religion and law he's also behind the scenes sabotaging our attempts to be good so that we're going to fail. We're on the torture rack of try harder, never enough, and end up failing, and then receiving his, you know, his demonic um, uh, judgment against us and agreeing with him, I am bad, I'm guilty, it's my fault. Do you know how many of you are suffering needlessly from demonic judgments because you have agreed with the devil that I'm bad, it's my fault, and I deserve this, or I had it coming? That is 
what you believe God is saying to you. That is not what God is saying to you at all. God is saying to you, I have a promise for you. It's not easy down there. The devil's trying to trick you. Believe me, I love you. You say, but I broke the law. Jesus says, but you know what? I fixed the law. I took care of the law. It's not about the law anymore. It's about, I put my law of love in your heart. It's now a law of liberty and love. Do you believe me? So our big, do you believe God question is, do you believe that God really did what he said he did and finished the work, justified us and is capable of delivering and healing us? Do you believe that? Or do you still see God as somehow, you know, holding it against you because you did something wrong because you, and then the devil comes, well, it's my choice. It was my choice. I chose. You know what? When you hear that in your mind, comes to your, out your mouth, well, it was my choice. Or somebody else says to you, it was your choice. You have just heard the voice of a, of a lying spirit. Yes, it was your choice. The devil will tell a partial truth. Yes, mm-hmm. it was your, your choice. You did choose. But did you know what you were making a choice about? Did you know that the choice you were making, you believed that that choice was going to make things better for you, was going to you know, help you out, deliver you, uh, you know, get you another moment of peace or whatever? Because you believed, like the little fish, that that bait on that hook was your lunch, and it wasn't your lunch. It was a lie. And because we don't realize, you know, it didn't start with you making a choice. It started with the one who set up the options. And you then had were forced. He probably forced you more than anything into having to make a choice. We, we are made by God to love that which is good. Why would we choose evil? Except we're under coercion and, and threats and programmed guys get this we are programmed by the enemy to believe lies against god against ourselves Mm -hmm. and so really we need a whole renewing of our minds well you know and going back to what you said about do christians want to be good we're built by god to want to be good of course so that like i said becomes our internal motivation but we have to realize that the law requires What does it require? Obedience and works. But it does not provide, like I just said, a means of salvation or justification. Obedience or disobedience does not get us saved. The agreement with God does. The agreement, I need salvation, I accept your death on the cross, I believe Jesus, you died for my sins. It's an agreement with God that gets us saved. Obedience and disobedience comes out of the law. And what happens is, a very interesting thing. When the law got set up, it was a, actually both God and Satan are using the law to do the opposite things because God set it up to bring a distinction between his people for the time being until Jesus came to protect them, to identify his people. But now Satan uses it as a way to crush people because it says in chapter, in the same chapter 4, it says um, 14 and 15, For if those who are of the law are heirs, Faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. In other words, God is saying, if you can earn all of this stuff, then the promise is pointless. My promise of giving it to you is pointless. My, prom- my, my way of loving you is pointless because now you're doing it by the law. How can I love you if you have already earned from me? It, my love becomes, you know, a, you know a, a mute, a mute, mute point. But because the law brings about wrath, for there is, for, for where? There is no law. There is no transgression. And if you flip that coin over, you say, and where there is a law, there is transgression. transgression, So when God gave the law, that gave Satan an opportunity to build up uh, the transgressions, uh, to collect souls that felt guilty. They violated the law. They're now sinful. They're afraid they're backsliding, losing their salvation. And it all becomes about me. It all becomes about my sin. It all becomes about me keeping my righteousness, walking a holy walk. You know what? What is the Holy Spirit doing in us? What's he doing there? Well, the Holy Spirit. Is, What's his job? His, his, his job, part of it is to reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And, our whole, and the Holy Spirit is also given to us to lead, to lead us, us into, into all, all truth. truth. And triumph and truth, yes, and uh, and to reveal to glorify Jesus Christ. So teaching the things that bringing to our remembrance the things that Jesus has taught us, leading us into truth, 
and mm-hmm. glorifying Jesus. That's right. That's it. That, that, so he's that's, the source of truth within he us. He is our source of, of righteousness. And strength. Yeah. Yeah. And so the thing is, it's not it's not bad to be good. It's not bad to want to be good. Mm-mm. But what happens? It's the Holy Spirit work. It's the fruit of the Spirit working. Us. It's not all this striving and mm-hmm. strife and effort and, and miles, miles of self-discipline and mm-hmm. frustration and and, and, and self-help, sets you five up. points for this, six points for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it's a matter of allowing the Spirit of God mm-hmm. to 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 work, and and then you know. the qualities, the character qualities of Jesus Christ, will be expressed through our lives, and exactly. that's 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 where it is. And so the, the, and it's peace. like the pressure is off. That's right. That's really. Can we live with that though? <clears throat> We're not uh, used to living with the pressure being off. You know. Uh, the thing is, going back to God for a minute, God's whole objective is love. God is love. Works and obedience and striving and and performance uh, and earning are are not suitable. They they are not uh, acceptable substitutes for God's grace and love. They are they actually you know really cancel out God's love because I've earned it. it I've done it. You know, pat myself on the back. Obedience that is required under the penalty of wrath is not love freely given. And so, you know, you say, well, why does God say that then? Why does God demand that we keep the law and all this? What is the law God demands we keep but the law of love? It's the law of love. And liberty. So The he, perfect law of love, love and liberty. It boils down to this. The great, Jesus said the whole law is fulfilled in this. That's you. The law... And the prophets is fulfilled. All that's fulfilled in the fact we uh, love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm-hmm. And love our neighbor as, as ourselves. ourselves. So loving God, loving our neighbors, loving ourselves, not in some kind of arrogant pride, How do narcissistic you do that? kind of way. How do you love? The only way you can do that is through the Holy Spirit working in your yeah, life. That's right. It says, you know, the thing is to understand there is a place for obedience, of course, because obedience continues to uh, prove my acceptance and my agreement with God and his righteousness to do the right thing, to forgive, to believe, to uh, seek God. That's what obedience is about. It continues to give us that place of protection, but it doesn't give us necessarily salvation. That, I said, again, comes to an agreement with the word of God, the promise of God, I believe you, God. But for God, if, if God's going to use like the law to force us through wrath, through threats, to obey him, to be compliant with the law, it would have destroyed his possibilities for loving, to love us and, and give us grace. So fear would have become the primary shifter in the affairs of men, which, of course, the devil has set it up to do. Everything basically in your world will reduce, if you reduce it down, take the moment to do that, reduces down to love or fear, everything. Because both fear and love demand, demand attention. They demand their, their powers. One is fear, one is love. They demand to be fulfilled. They demand to be paid attention to. And so if you're doing anything out of stress, fear, exhaustion, uh, worry, anxiety, you know, and of course, you're, you're going to be doing these things out of those motivators because there's a spirit of motiv- that's motivating you to do that. I think of so many people who wake up in the morning anxious. They can hardly get out of bed. They're fearful. They're, they're, some of them are paralyzed. They're taking drugs. They're taking medications. They can't face the day. I'm just, these people are very tortured, tormented. And a lot of them are tormented and paralyzed, if you will, by the same th- thoughts, I believe, that paralyzed the paralytic who came to Jesus, who was brought to Jesus, that he couldn't, you know, paral- you're paralyzed in your fear of getting out of bed, facing the day, because of feeling guilty, feeling alienated from God, feeling un- uh, not strong, uh, afraid. Um, and so this kind of torturous, demonic spirit that uh, accompanies your waking morning, that, uh, that attacks your mind, your heart, this is a spirit. This is not you. You know this is a spirit. I think when people know that uh, this, uh, there are spirits of infirmity that lay upon people. There are spirits of, of, of uh, paralysis that grip people through anxiety or fear or depression. 
when you recognize these are not you and you don't deserve them, if you didn't do something to deserve them, what happened is there was some un, un, uh, un, unknown agreement that permitted them to come into your life and you need to want to do best if you would just simply call it to God and say, you know what, Lord, I can't do this. I cannot get out of bed. This is your problem. This demon is thwarting me. He's paralyzing me. He's making me feel bad and guilty because I believe with every spirit of anxiety comes a spirit of guilt. Mm-hmm. So, and by the way, if you have a question or comment, call us at 347-215-8051. We'd love to hear from you. Now, let me give you that again. It's 347 215 do you believe, Marjorie, there are a lot of people that feel that God is just on their back? All the time. That they're just, God is just, he's basically, mean, he's angry. angry. <laughs> he's just waiting for you to make one false move. Well, that's and exactly. You, and you kind of walk on eggshells. Now, there is something called the fear of God. There is a reverence for God, you know, that he is the, he is the, right. he's, he's the righteous judge. He's holy. And all that, but if you if what kind of relationship is it if you're just in such a tension? Well, it's miserable. Time, Let's put it that way. It's miserable. About, you're not. Am I pleasing God? Am I not? Right. Is he mad at me? Is he not? Right. If I do something good, oh, he's pleased with me now, but he could be mad at me in in one second. Right. That's this is all about. The the other thing that Satan tries to do in our life is disconnect us, separate us. He hates the love relationship that God has and wants with us. And so Satan is constantly um, working to subvert it, to undermine it, to diminish it, to separate, cut us off from God's love. And he does, he uses the law to do that because he makes people feel very confused about the law. If you're a believer, the law has, the law is is now uh, finished, completed, it's satisfied. You are in a new covenant, a new position with Christ as a child, that uh, a child of God. That doesn't mean that you will never ever sin again. What it means is, and it doesn't mean you have to never ever sin again. If that were the case, no one would get to heaven, and we would be back to works and earning it. What it means is to recognize this huge spiritual battle. That goes on, and it, confusion is from the enemy. Confusion about the law: Am I good? Am I bad? People, uh, when you're confused about God, is He good? Is He happy? Is He kind? You're, you're afraid to come to Him, and it really distracts people, and it pulls them in many different directions uh, away from God, His kindness, His goodness, and His tender mercy. And so we get we feel very isolated, alone, estranged abandoned, and then, of course, frightened and terrified because we are alone. alone. And so I believe, Jerry, a lot of people get hung up on the millions of ways uh, the devil presents the rules to them, the rules of righteousness, the rules of being good. Which ones are the right rules? And how do I keep them? And what happens if I don't? And God is, um, his, you know, God's goal, his personal goal in your life is to establish a personal relationship with you based on his love, his mercy, compassion, fearlessness, trust, and to get you to know that, to get you to know his love, his mercy, to get you to be strong in the Lord. I mean, just think of the people in the Bible, for example, um, who did exploits. They didn't do exploits because they were double-minded and confused about the love of God. David said, for example, when he was facing Goliath, he says to basically said to the giant, how dare you insult my God like this? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to have it. And so he forgot about himself and his little puny youth shape, whatever, and went against this giant because he had such a, a relationship with God that, you know, how dare you insult my God, the so he, you know, and with that kind of a forgetting of yourself, and he was going after um, defending his God, if you will. God defended him. Well, it's a confidence. It's not a it's not a self confidence, but it's a confidence in God that you have yourself. <laughs> yeah, and so it's like I know that it's a knowing uh, in your heart, in your spirit. That God is good, God is love, God always has the best in mind for us, mm-hmm. and that when He 
gives you something Hard. to do, an assignment. Yeah. Or or like Abraham, it, it talks about, uh, he says, verse uh, 18, uh, he says uh, of chapter 4 of Romans, who contrary to hope believed in hope believed, who contrary to hope in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Mm-hmm. So it was contrary to hope. This is what we're talking about. More contrary to people, hope. Yeah, yeah, what some people would call crazy faith because yeah. it was like, okay, I'm old. I've waited. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm almost 100. I'm about 100 years old. Mm-hmm. I've waited 25 years for this promised son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times we don't we don't want to wait 25 seconds. We don't want to wait 25 minutes. We don't want to wait 25 weeks. He may waited 25 years. So his test, and it's like the test is: Are you going to believe no matter the what? promise of God? No matter what, no matter what it looks like, what it feels like. Mm-hmm. His wife is way past; she's 90. Mm-hmm. Well, you listen know, to the verse 19. Past... It says exactly what you're saying: <laughs> not being weak in faith. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. So he knew that he had heard from God. That was that was point number one. He knew that the promise God had made to him was from God, and it was clearly a, a, a promise from God, although the duration of 25 years was the interim that the enemy used to try to pull Abraham into a place of despair, despond, hopelessness. And he did at, at about the midway point, about 13 years in, he sort of gave into an idea that, you know, maybe he could help God out here and get this thing to happen faster if he just used Hagar as a maidservant. And maybe, you know, if she had a son, then that would be the son God was talking about. And, Interesting enough, God let him go through with the whole thing. God didn't stop it. God didn't give Hagar a miscarriage. And even when Sarah and Abraham sent her away, God didn't let the child die in the wilderness under the bush. He had compassion on Hagar, and he created 12 sons out of out of Ishmael. So God, you know, was, you know, not, he saw Abraham. Now, this was Abraham's um, son of the bondservant. And God says, no, 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 I want you to know that there's also uh, Isaac, who is the son of the free woman. So, but, but, you know, even though Abraham did this thing in the middle of the test, and we would say he blew it, you know, like you and I would probably say about your life, my life, I blew it, I should have, I didn't listen, I panicked, I did it my way, blah, blah, blah. God, it says, um, God does not call that bad. He, he, I mean, he doesn't say Abraham, you blew it. Now that's it. Promise is over. It's all done. Canceled out because you ruined it. You screwed up. But um, but Abraham was considered the father of faith. He says it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he says he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Even when he wavered, he was considered giving glory to God and being strengthened in faith and being fully convinced that what he God had promised, he would also perform. Therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. So his righteousness was intact. He continued to believe God. God gave the son just like he promised. And actually, though, if you really read through Abraham's whole life, he did not see the fulfillment of all the promise in his lifetime on earth. Um, But he looked for a city whose maker was God. And he continued to walk in that was the, the, the thing that made him the friend of God. He continued to believe God even when it didn't look like he was getting everything God had promised him. He didn't throw in the towel and say, God, I'm mad at you. This doesn't work. You promised me this. You're a liar. He just kept walking and looked beyond this life, which I think some of us also will do. Um, now, it says in verse 23, it was not written for his sake alone that it, that it was imputed to him, but for also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. So that's how that's the promise that you and I have. The promise we have is from God's word is a sure promise of salvation written in the book called the Bible and is given to us by God himself. Uh, the rescue has been completed. And it says who was delivered up because of our offenses 
and was raised up because of our justification. The very fact that Jesus rose from the dead is the indication to us. That's why the resurrection is such an exciting big deal to us, because in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, we see the fact that God accepted that sacrifice as the full atonement for our sins. And also with that brings us full reinstatement, justification, and then ultimately glorification. This ordeal down here, guys, this hostile, evil world that is becoming more and more evil, vindictive, difficult, painful, sad, Every day, I think every day, people, there's another tragedy. There's adding more to the burden of this troubled place is not our final home. Your home, your eternal salvation home, Jesus says, I, I let not your heart be troubled. In my, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. It's okay to think about heaven. It's okay to um, bless God for the promises not only of salvation here, but deliverance from this place to a, a place where there are no tears, there's no pain. And, and these, this is our journey. This is a journey. This is a place of preparation and qualification for placement, but it's a journey. It's a, we don't work here to earn our salvation. That work has been done. What we do here is walk out our relationship with God. It's like getting married. You have that wedding day. You have that day of covenant, commitment, vows, promises, but then you walk up for, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. That journey, nobody knows at that wedding day what that journey is going to all include, mm-hmm. whether all kinds of things possible. But you say no matter what, no matter what, no matter our love for each other, our commitment to each other, no matter what, we're going to go, we're going to do it. And so here's what, um, what, what we're saying to God, no matter what, we're married to you, you're married to us, we're, we're in covenant no matter what, we're we're, we're going to you know make it through to that final resting place. Let me just read, uh, Marjorie, the uh, summary that uh, God gives here about Abraham and Sarah in that situation. Okay, mm-hmm. He says, um, Hebrews eleven eight through twelve, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. Do you ever feel like you don't know where you're going? (laughs) You're like Abraham. Yep. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. So the Isaac came and then Jacob, the the, um, uh, heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. So he's looking beyond, even, even back then he was looking beyond the promise of even the land, um, even the land that he was given, the, 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 the physical land. He's looking for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful mm-hmm. who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. And really, if you are a faithful uh, a believer in Jesus Christ, you're part of uh, Abraham's seed. Mm-hmm. The Abraham seed is not necessarily just, you know, physical genetics. Mm-hmm. It's people who are living by faith. Yeah. Living by faith. Well, we have a question here from someone who's um, asking this question. Uh, why does a spirit of paralyzing fear get accompanied by a spirit of guilt? Why does, par- and I think going, that's going back to that example of the people who wake up in the morning paralyzed with fear, uh, the spirit of anxiety, um, and well, first of all, you have to ask the, the question, going back to the story of the man who had um, the, uh, the, the paralytic, as he's called, in that story, Jesus, it's told in the three Gospels. Um, maybe, honey, you want to find that one. Were his friends? Yeah, brought him in. in. Okay. Um, so you have, the guy was paralyzed. His lit, literal body could not walk, could not move. And I believe a lot of times spirits, uh, for example, infirmity, anxiety, um, 
fear, fear itself, will get into various parts of your body, your mind. Maybe it's paralyzing your mind, freezing your mind or freezing your, your mobility because, um, because of the spirit of guilt. Guilt will say, um, I've, well, going back to this, uh, hold on, just going right back to what we read in, in um, the first uh, verse 15 of Romans 4, it says, um, because the law brings about wrath. People are trying to keep the law, and a lot of Christians are trying, still believing somehow that they have to keep the law, whether it's performance or, or fasting or programs or keeping the pastor happy or going to church or tithing, all kinds of things, mandates, various things, and which rules. I mean, every church, every denomination, every group has their own set of rules that need to be kept, some more strict than others. But with the breaking of the rule comes wrath, which means there's condemnation, wrath and condemnation. Uh, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. But where there is a law, there is transgression. That last part is what I've I flipped the coin over. The Bible says where there is no law, there is no transgression. So converse, the converse has to also be true, that where there is a law, there is our transgressors. So there's, there's a, then it, it also says in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty six that um, uh, the law brings... Um, the knowledge of sin. And so this paralyzed man, these people in their beds in the morning, um, let's see, hold on, 56, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. So when people are feeling guilty, like they have sinned, like there's, if there's no law to break, then you can't feel like you've broke a law. But if they feel like they've broken this law that God is mad at them, then they're feeling like they deserve to be punished And I believe that's where anxiety gets in. Guilt comes in. Guilt says, you're guilty of breaking God's law. Now, isn't it interesting that God says, what law? He says, I already took care of the law. The law is love. The law is liberty. I love you. Why are you still going back to listening to the devil's counsel about how to please me? Because when you go back to the law, you're actually listening to the one, the lawbreaker, who's telling you, you broke the law. And that there is that you've transgressed. Therefore, the devil is giving himself the right to punish you. To he feels justified in bringing this condemnation, this per- paralyzing fear upon you, because you have agreed with fear. When you agree with the spirit of fear, you've agreed with the devil, and the devil can do basically what he wants. So he dumps another spirit of guilt on you, which brings a spirit of paralysis. Which is you know, and when Jesus found that young man, or they brought the young man actually to him on the cot, young I don't know, middle aged, whatever he was, the four friends they tore open the roof. You know the story. Mm-hmm. Um, the That's first thing smart. that Jesus said, the very first word out of his mouth. Obviously, we know we we know God doesn't take a word of knowledge to know. This guy is not able to get there on his own two feet. He's not walking. He is paralyzed, and he's in need of healing. We don't even have to ask, well, what's he doing here? So the guys lowered him, and Jesus didn't say, do you want to be healed? He said, son. He said, son. And I said, well, so what? Well, big deal. Jesus said, son. What does that mean? That Jesus Christ restored, first of all, before he healed the guy, before he could heal the guy, before the guy was able to be healed or receive a healing, he had to know his identity, and Jesus restored him back to sonship. He said, son. Identity. Who are you? Who are you laying in that bed in the morning when the devil's tormenting you with anxiety? He, he, who are you? You are the son, the forgiven son, heir of Jesus Christ. What's beautiful in that story, the story you're talking about, Marjorie, is in, in Mark chapter 2. And uh, there were the four men that brought him. Right. And there were so many people in the house and they couldn't get in, so they tore up the roof. They had the tile right, roof, right, the right. tile in the dirt. And t- they tore it off, lowered him below. Extreme uh, measures. Extreme, and, and what it says in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. So <clears> there was faith there. In a sense, he became, he was a, actually a, a son, spiritual son of Abraham, mm-hmm. Because he had faith. He saw their faith, not just the faith of the people, the guys that were lowering him, but the faith of the man who was paralyzed as well. And maybe, you don't know, maybe that man convinced his buddies to get him there. I don't know who had the faith, but God saw faith. But you say, well, where is it? my four buddies in the morning when I'm terrified, feeling alone, abandoned in the spirit of anxiety? 
where is God? And um, I am totally alone. And that's part of the fear is the abandonment, the aloneness. But you know what? When you see the love Jesus has for you, everything melts away. When the man realized, when, God, when, he, when he heard the, the, the word Jesus said to him, son, you are my son, you are an heir of, of Abraham, then he said, um, your sins are forgiven you. He didn't say rise up and walk. He said your sins. In other words, what you have come to believe about yourself, that you're bad, sinful, guilty, don't deserve um, healing, all that stuff has to be gotten out of the way. That's why a lot of people don't get healed is because they it, 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 truth sets people free. Love heals people. Love heals people. And you, if you are feeling guilty, like you had it coming, like you did something wrong, as long as you're agreeing with all that stuff, you're agreeing with guilt and shame and paralyzing fear and condemnation, I'm bad, that gets in the way of just receiving grace, mercy, and healing. Because healing is a gift we receive. It's not something you earn. Deliverance is the same way. It's something you receive. It's not something you earn. And so many of us are mad at ourselves for getting in this predicament, blaming ourselves for getting in this trouble, blaming ourselves for, uh, you know, making a bad choice or whatever. And, you know, you didn't intend to make bad choices. And, well, and sometimes, you know, part of that fear is something is um, expecting there's going to be consequences that are going to come on me. What's going to happen right. to me now that I have and done this or expecting this, the this, worst or, or yeah, or something that's coming up that we're thinking about that we're afraid of dwelling on, you know, that we're meditating dwelling on, on what is going to happen today. Right. That's I, the devil working in your mind oh. to bring it to pass. He's got to get you to agree with him. The other thing people don't realize is that this is very pronounced, very pattern. There's a very distinct pattern in people's generational bloodlines. So if these demons, familiar spirits tormented your life, uh, are, are tormenting your life. They also were tormenting your generations because what is so? What does a familiar spirit mean? That means you're so familiar with it you don't even recognize it. You're so used to the smell of it. You're so used to the look of it that you don't recognize it as anything uncommon or different from what is uh, normal. And um, this is uh, this is why we need the revelation of Jesus Christ because so many times we're seeing things, feeling things, experiencing, going round and round and round in circles actually. Because you have said, it is what it is, this is my life, this is normal, it's never going to change. And that's another part of the paralyzing fear that gets people, this the anxiety. You're feeling so locked in. And this has to do not only with your, your, your spiritual life, your soul, it has to do with your biological situation. I believe our brain chemistry, I believe the neurotransmitters, I believe the frequencies, everything has been jerry-rigged and, trans, and, and tapped into uh, by the enemy to paralyze you, shut you down. And again, if you're in religion and you're in law, legalism law is very rigid, very stiff. So you're going to have a religious spirit, not just a paralyzing spirit in this anxiety thing. You're going to have a religious spirit who's going to judge you for breaking the law, being religious, failing to keep that law. We have people who are absolutely um, uh, socially undone, uh, um, What's the word? Compulsive, obsessive. Uh, uh, they can't even function anymore. They're so hung up on, on paralyzed with having fear of breaking the law right. than yeah. being religious and rigid. And so we have in paralysis, paralysis, you have religion, you have condemnation, you have guilt, you have fear, you have abandonment, you have generational curses. And you say, how can I do everything about all this stuff that I need to do anything about? You do you know one thing, that the Lord God sees you this morning where you are stuck in that bed and then of course our society dumps a ton of toxic medications on you which are only the ropes and the fetters that satan is using to tie you down even more and, and that's it so so people are really they're just peril like like our, our our caller was the question paralyzed with fear and there there's just this uh and despair, uh, discouragement, just, or you become just or bad luck, or anything else. And so sometimes people, and they look for uh, comfort sometimes from the scripture, and everything they read in the scripture is condemning through a filter. It, it's condemnation that comes to them. Mm -hmm. They go to church, and they hear a message about repenting of sin and stuff like that. 
which is, you know, okay, it's changing your mind. But what happens is there's a filter in a person's brain that um, it's a demonic filter where you see everything as condemnation, everything as not enough, everything as I've got to do do more to right. try to... Mm-hmm. The only thing God is asking us to do, one up. thing God is asking us to do is to believe Him for the healing, the deliverance, the salvation. You know, another thing, you know, I say, well, where's, where's obedience in all of this? This is what I believe. I believe that the law is on one side of the chasm and God's love is on the other side of the chasm. And there's this chasm that's, you know, obviously um, there has to be a bridge built. And I believe what builds the bridge from law, legalism, condemnation, paralyzing fear, etc., to God's love and health and freedom and deliverance is faith. And faith is demonstrated through obedience. So faith and obedience are like the trusses that build the bridge uh, between law and love. Um, right. And it's like Jesus Christ has built the the bridge to us through the cross. And so when you when you read like the book of uh, James, the book of First uh, John, it's it talks about the obedience that arises out of that love relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's not uh, it's not a it just it's not just this horrible dutiful thing. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of of, of of love and grace and rest, even in the midst of very very intense. Mm-hmm. Warfare and it gets intense, and it gets it's going to be getting more and more. But I think one of the things people don't day. recognize that they can do in the midst of every intensity is when you're paralyzed, laying there in the morning, or when you're paralyzed and upset or angry, uh, frustrated in the middle of the day, is to seek the Lord. To um, a lot of people are trying to stay strong without eating. They don't read the Word of God. Of course, like you said earlier, if they read it, then they feel condemned, so they try to avoid it, and that's you know you get anorexic and weak. And but faith, you know, James says faith without works is dead. So the works are really the works that come out of our faith is the the walking, the walking out of our faith. It's the demonstration. It's the it's putting that foot on the bridge and walking towards love, believing that God's love will hold us. Um, our works are the demonstration or the acting on of our faith. So that. Um, uh, the, the devil wants us to um, be stuck on the other side and, and then we'll just go round and round and working, 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 fretting, um, stressing on the side of law. Um, the, the enemy is trying to keep us from walking across that bridge to walk into the goodness of God, the love of God. He doesn't want us to know the love of God. He, uh, Go ahead. Right, because a lot of times your faith puts us oftentimes into new territory where we're, we're stepping out in things. It's going to be something that maybe nobody else seems to be doing mm-hmm. or it seems just very risky or it seems very insane, very crazy. But if you've heard from God, there's a confidence there. Like Abraham had that confidence mm-hmm. that he was, he was hearing you from know God. But there are things when you step out in that area of faith where fear can come in because it's, it it's like, weird. what am I doing? It's like yeah. Abraham says he went out not knowing where he was going. So it wasn't and sometimes we step out on things. Mm-hmm. We don't know where we're going either. Yeah, so one of the worst things or the most prevalent things that comes when a person is delivered or healed is the feeling of this is weird. This doesn't feel right. How, how long is this going to last? What am I going to have to do? How do I keep this healing? Because we're so not used to walking in rest. We're so not used to being okay. We're so used to being angry and agitated and anxious. We're just so used to those familiar spirits accompanying us every day that we don't even, we just passively agree with them because we don't resist them. And I think that's part of the problem too. Um, So if the devil knows that he can get us to either focus on our sin or focus on trying to be good, both of those are the wrong focus because they're still about me. You know, he can set, he tries to set us up to fail, you know, to bring that guilt, condemnation, and get that opportunity to bring that paralyzing fear upon us. Perfect love, it says, casts out fear. Fear has torment, and part of that torment is this, you know, really it goes to the place of surrendering, um, you know. You know, religion, all all religion can do, really. Uh, Rest is not religion. Religion takes over. It builds, you know, these huge institutions 
dedicated, if you will, to getting rid of sin by, you know, putting burdens on the flesh too grievous to be born, born like Jesus said, um, by indoctrinating us, uh, by calling things sinful that are not, uh, believing we have a sinful human nature. All of these things the enemy is using to indoctrinate us, to keep us stuck in that place of getting rid of our sin. The Bible does not say we have a sinful human nature. The Bible says that we do sin. We sin. You know, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't say anything about our sinful human nature. It's, uh, we're made in the image of God. We have a divine nature, and Satan is trying to get you to agree that you have a sinful human nature because he's got a lot of evidence he's using against you to get you to agree to that. And then, of course, because you hate that sinful human nature because it's not like your divine nature, you're all motivated to get rid of the sinful human nature. So you put all those bad things on the list myself, and I don't like this, and I don't like that, and I don't like them, and I'm going to try to fix all this stuff, and you spend your whole life dealing with your sinful human nature when God says, you know what? Here's not, that's not what I told you to do, Jesus said. That's not what I told you. I didn't say tell you to get rid of your sin. I told you to follow me. I told you to preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely receive, freely give. And you cannot do that if you're all hung up on yourself and paralyzed with fear. Um, so our sinful human nature gets activated, you know, just by being here, uh, thrown in the pit, the things that we experience, the things that we embrace, the things that are told to us. Um, and we don't, Unless we get the Word of God, it, it, it's like the Word of God is like a mirror. If you never look in it, you never know how dirty your face is. Somebody else can tell you how dirty your face is, but really it's only when you see the reflection in the Word of God yourself. They say, wow, wow. Men, or you may say, well, you know what? I like that mud on my face. It looks good on me. I think I'll just keep wearing it. Um, you know, But the Word of God is what really brings revelation of Jesus Christ. So when people don't want to read the Word or are afraid of the Word, um, that's the people we want to encourage. So, uh, yes, I I want here. There's a couple, two passages as we kind of get toward wrapping this up here today. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, uh, 28 through 30. He says, "Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me." For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I'd like to read also from Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who make, also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, amen. This is like crazy faith. Abraham had crazy faith. He believed God when everything looked dead and dried up and gone, hopeless. And you're probably there today, too, with your dreams gone, your children maybe passed away, your relationships are in a mess more than you can even imagine. Never Something you never, ever imagined would even happen to you. The devil's come up with and so Abraham's crazy faith in God, in God's word, in his promise, knowing what God had said and allowing God to demonstrate his, his insane love towards <laughs> us, if you will, that he is good, like you just read. Mm. Um, we're all going to be, we're going to make it. You're going to make it. Why are you going to make it? Because God is with you. The Holy Spirit's in you. And even when you feel like you're not making it, even when it looks like you're not making it, even when you... Your friends tell you you're never going to make it. Even when the world, everybody's against you. It does not matter. It doesn't matter if the whole stinking world is against you. If God is for you, like Jerry said, who can be against you? 
all things work together for good. So it's having to, to knowing this, knowing, not feeling, but feeling or thinking or trying to figure it out or trying to be good, trying to be, but knowing that you know what you know. It's not about anything but knowing that what you know. And what do you know? That God does not lie. That God loves you. That God is for us and that God is good. And that God is not the bad rap Satan gets to tell us. See, Satan got to make the first move on the board and he told us God is bad. God hates us. God is mean, evil, and um, we're alone in this world. But God says, no, no, no. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will not leave you orphans. So today... You're not an orphan today. You're not alone today. Be brave and get into the Word of God and ask Him what are the promises He's made for you. So, Father, we thank You for Your promises that You cannot lie, that You are a good God all the time. I pray for divine breakthroughs for each one here that's listening today and that even, Lord God, in the encouragement, that they will be amazed, like the paralyzed man who got up and carried his bed off and went home, amazed at what things changed in the matter of mm. six or seven words spoken by the Lord God himself. So, Lord Jesus, let us be encouraged in your love today, in the demonstration of your miraculous keeping power, and heal those that have been listening today who are afflicted in the morning with anxiety and paralyzing fear and guilt. I pray that those demons would be driven off of them and that the revelation of Jesus Christ would impart to them the strength, the courage, the joy and rejoicing to get out of that bed and never look back. Do not look back. Don't worry about it coming back. The Lord has taken care of it. And so, Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. Amen. Amen. 